Hello, students. Welcome to Detention. I am everyone's favorite co-host, the Caleb G. But tonight I am Professor Crunch, and that means it is my job to take care of you hooligans who have found yourselves stuck here after hours in the RPG Academy. To help me out tonight, I have brought along some voices you know and love. First and foremost, a uh, constant on our detention show here so far, Scott. Howdy, all you kids out there in Radio Land. I guess I just can't get my act together, clean it up. I'm always in detention. It's what we come to expect from you by this point in time, Scott. And uh, our third voice tonight, special guest, Kevin Smith. Hi, everybody. This is actually my first time ever in detention, so I'm excited and terrified to be here. Well, uh, we'll treat you well here tonight, Kevin. Don't worry about it. <laughs> when I say that, I don't mean first time in detention on your show. I mean in life. I was—I never even got detention in school. Wow. Well, Kevin just showed us all up for being an outstanding, excellent student. Kevin, you've wasted your life. <laughs> all right before we get into our segments for the episode today i want to take a quick moment and remind you all about battle bards as our show sponsor i use battle bards for all of the production in wrought iron all the background music all the sound effects i absolutely love battle bards it is my favorite thing to use for music sound effects game support they are rolling out all kinds of new goodies for you. Their uh, sound editing board is coming together and I think maybe actually out already. We'll confirm that. Uh, they're also rolling out an entire new series of pirate and nautical themed tracks to add to their library. And we have freebies to give away. Uh, if you go over to BattleBards.com and buy yourself some credits package, we have coupon codes to get some free tracks. The free tracks are predetermined, and they will download as soon as you enter the coupon code into your library so you don't accidentally buy the same one twice. If you pick up the $10 or $25 credit package, enter coupon code AHOY1 for one free track. If you pick up the $50 or $100 credit package ahoy 2 gets you five free tracks and the 150 or 300 package with code ahoy 3 gets you 16 free tracks these are all the new tracks and sound effects from the pirates and the grand ocean collection i've listened to all of these tracks in a preview they are amazing and I will absolutely be using them in Wrought Iron very, very soon. But with all that out of the way, we are going to go ahead and get started with our extracurricular segment here in detention, chatting about what we've done in real life, outside the academy, home games, whatever the case may be. So what have we been up to, gentlemen? What's going on? I guess I'll start things off. Uh, I've been gearing up for my next campaign setting with my at-home group. Essentially mm. trying to figure out uh, what kind of game we're going to be playing, what kind of setting we're going to be choosing, and for a second there, for a split iota of a second, I thought they were going to go with Star Wars Edge of the Empire. Something new, something not Dungeons & Dragons, and then 
we kind of talked about it a little bit, and everybody came to the consensus that they love the idea of playing Star Wars, just not enough to learn a new game. So, we're back to Dungeons and Dragons, which Aww. is great. I love D&D, and I'm excited to run a campaign. And frankly, I know how to run D&D. I have never played, let alone run, Star Wars Edge of the Empire. But I was kind of excited for the challenge. It is always fun to try to get into a new system. Uh, of course, as a GM, you kind of want that level of comfort so that you can help the players figure things out as you're going along. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just... I'm I'm in this weird stage right now where I would like to do something different with the group than what I've done before, and a new game would have definitely done that, especially if it was Star Wars. I mean, I don't think, with rare exception, we've ever done any kind of sci-fi situation or anything like that. We dabbled in Numenera once, uh, which they didn't take to, except for one of my players... Uh, he he really loved it, wanted to play it again, but nobody went for it. <laughs> he was one of the options I gave him, and nobody else wanted to. They they love fiddling with their characters too much. They love that crunch aspect that it comes to building a character uh, with pieces that D&D offers, and Numenera did not offer that to them. Are you guys still playing 5th edition? Yes, we'll, we'll be playing 5th edition. Uh, which is kind of, I didn't really give him a choice in that matter. I know one of, one of the guys playing might have gone, might have wanted me to go Pathfinder, but I've kind of put the kibosh on 3.x rules. I'm just tired of them. So I don't want to run them. And I would have done fourth edition, but I know none of them would go for fourth. Uh, so, you know, fifth edition it is. That's fascinating. The, 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 the idea it's the that amalgamation of everything. It, it, you guys view fifth edition as, as the middle ground between your love of fourth and their love for 3X? Yes, I would say so. Interesting. And, and, and why would you qualify that as such? I, I hate to divert us a little bit, but I'm fascinated to know. Obviously, this is why you're in detention, Scott. You and your tangents. <laughs> there is a lot of fourth edition in fifth edition. There's, there are pieces in that game that people don't necessarily notice unless they really get into the rule setting. Um, it's just like a lot of the specialty classes that your characters branch out into get these little package abilities that just because they're not on a card, people don't see them as like the 4th edition packaged abilities, which they are. Granted, Every move you made in 4th edition was some kind of specialty move, but uh, I don't know, There's there are little aspects of the game peppered in there, and I was much more keen on them right when the 5th right edition came out, and I could have done a better job explaining myself, but they're there. Hmm. Trust me. I Maybe I'll do a blog piece about it sometime. I'll, I'll take your word for it. It sounds uh, sounds convincing. Well, I remember having a conversation with uh, a friend of the show and Tribality writer Rich Howard probably sometime last year, and he was the one that brought to my attention that 5th edition is very firmly built on the bones of 4th. The only thing I can remember at this point in time is that functionally a lot of the powers and abilities work with the at will per encounter or per date structure but 
I feel like there are a lot of flavor and style elements coming from fourth two. The way some of the individual classes work, how they're structured, how one archetype over another does something different. Yeah, I, I think if you want to write about that, Kevin, that would be awesome because uh, hearing that kind of stuff is really cool. I, I'm one of the I'm one of the folks that actually love fourth edition for what it was. I, I've mentioned it multiple times in writing and on podcasts that had fourth edition come out under a different name than Dungeons and Dragons. It would have been lauded as a unique system that is new to the genre of tabletop role-playing games, and people would have been very excited about it. But because it had that Dungeons and Dragons name on there... It's, it was like New Coke, right? The, the, exactly. the taste test liked it, but it wasn't enough like the classic. It just offended people. <laughs> it's a very good analogy, I'd say. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. If, if this had been fantasy combat game... Everyone would have loved it. Mm -hmm. If it had been castles and, and cravens or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. I do think, however, based on our attendance and detention, that uh, this is what's getting us in detention, is that everyone on the show so far in detention has had a fondness for 4E, and uh, clearly that's against the rules. <laughs> you're, you're right. Every single episode, I think we have made the joke. Yeah, you know those few guys that like fourth edition. I'm one of them. Mm -hmm. Everyone raises their hands sheepishly with embarrassment and yeah. shame. It, it's it's the game we play in the back of the classroom when we think the teacher's not watching. <laughs> no, fourth edition solid. There's nothing wrong with it. Hmm. It's just very different. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, what about you, Scott? What have you been doing? Well, uh, I. A, a very long-term friend, a close compatriot of mine, and a long-term gaming buddy from back home is getting married weekend after next. Oh. But unfortunately for him, he scheduled his wedding on the weekend of our local Comic-Con, so pff, I'm not going. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know why he did that. I'm mailing him some uh, mugs, you know. It'll be great. So he's not getting hitched at the convention? No, I don't know. He didn't, like, fly to where I live now and, and have the decency to come to Comic-Con with me. I, I don't know. I don't know. No, but uh, he's, he's a good guy, and I'll catch up with him in a couple of weeks at my uh, sister's wedding, which uh, will be a crazy time. Uh, they're not getting married to each other. That would be really awkward. Uh, Especially if it was two different weekends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd have to have some talk about planning. But knowing, uh, actually, both of them individually, I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> and uh otherwise uh that same weekend is going to be the most sociable weekend ever i have like a baseball game outing with my company and and uh that's uh what is it it's labor day and then so labor day i'm, I'm gonna invite a bunch of rando acquaintances to my house and play board games and card games and that should be pretty fun so it'll be a, a slam-packed jam-packed weekend full of no awkward cake and uncomfortable dancing and putting on a a uh, penguin suit. I think uh, I I think it'll be okay. You're not just gonna wear a tuxedo for the hell of it while your friends are over playing board games. You know, now that you've mentioned it, I uh, I, I might wear one to my uh, work uh, baseball game because I've <laughs> I've been trying to introduce semi-formal Friday. It has not taken off. People really like their jeans. I don't know. I I keep showing up in a three-piece and everyone looks at me funny. So this might be the time. Your wedding isn't located in Missouri Labor Day weekend, is it? Because I'm bartending a wedding that weekend. 
It is not, but uh, close. I'm sure there are only a few couples in the country getting married. I'm sure uh, it was a narrow <laughs> thing. Who would plan it oh, on Comic-Con? Man. Honestly, what, what are all these people? They know a comic convention's happening somewhere in the country that weekend. Hey, my, my sister-in-law got married last year on the weekend of Gen Con. And I actually skipped Gen Con. I mean, it was my sister-in-law. My wife made no bones about it that I was not missing that wedding. I mean, she didn't even have to say it, really. I mean, it's just, you know, I'm not missing that wedding. It was hard. I was excited about Gen Con that year. Yeah, it's 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 hard to tell someone that, that you'll you'll miss the wedding, but you'll catch up with them at their funeral. It doesn't go over well. Ah, <laughs> uh, good times. Good times. No, I, I really think you should show up at the ball game in a tuxedo. I think that'd be awesome. I like your style. Or at least a tuxedo t-shirt. I mean, let's bring that back. <laughs> Who said it ever left? I haven't seen one. I haven't seen one in a long time. I assume that's because uh, most famous, uh, well-dressed you know, CEOs and types are wearing it underneath their actual suit. That's a really good point. Gen X has aged up to being you know, CTOs of major corporations and, and you know, financial heads of state, and I'm sure they're all busting out the tuxedo t-shirt underneath secretly wearing like the crazy fun socks and you know thong underpants <laughs> and they think they're like really you know i'm rebelling against the machine no oh, you are the machine now ah uh, it's a tragedy it's an absolute tragedy which is why we turn to gaming yeah yeah we can we can fight the power we can be murder hobos we can bring down the established system mm-hmm. within the confines of an established system absolutely yeah <laughs> Uh, well, I don't have a whole lot to report here from, from my neck of the woods. I've been stuck at work a lot, long days, long drive back and forth, tons of construction on uh, my exact and only path to and from work. Uh, my wife has some friends coming up this weekend, so after we are done recording, I will be cleaning the house and getting all of that ready to go. I, I, I have been getting back into... Another series of books called the Nightside series. K N I G H T. No N I. Oh, thank God! I thought someone needed to be punished. Okay. <laughs> uh, it is a pretty typical urban fantasy series uh, set in London. What, what what is a typical urban fantasy? Have, have I missed out? Urban fantasy is a is a genre. Yeah, yeah. I'd say so. Like, Dresden Files is urban fantasy. Oh, mm-hmm. like contemporary fantasy. Modern I fantasy. always call that urban fantasy. Oh, I mean, I mean, it's 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 not like um, there, there's a whole genre for, for things set in, in uh, the medieval era, but a dense urban area, because nobody likes the fact that feces literally drip down the walls and, and uh, through the gutters, right? That's Th- true. Okay, yes. okay. <laughs> That wonderful sound effect, Kevin. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah. uh, Contemporary fantasy, urban fantasy, uh, real life peppered in with magic and monsters. So uh, the Nightside series is set in London. Uh, There is basically a uh, gooey core to the city. And that city within the city is all the mystical, magical, supernatural evil in the world. Uh, and it's a pretty long series of books. I forget how many it is now. I have all of them, 12, 12 or 15, maybe a little bit more. And, and it's basically uh, the main character is named John Taylor. He is a private eye who has the magical ability to find anything. 
It's pretty useful. But it doesn't always work. <laughs> it, it, it's 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 a weird uh, logic within the book that he can only find something if he knows the exact question to it. But the logic doesn't hold up sometimes. He knows the question to it? Like, where is it? Is that the question? Like where you'd think where is it would the thing be because that's a question, <laughs> but but somehow that's the question that never works. <laughs> it, he he can only find stuff if, if it's like a really complicated situation. It, it it's one of those powers that works when the plot needs it to, and doesn't work when the plot needs it to. Oh, not work. you, you should have so, just said he had plot contrivance power. There you go. Let's just say that. Let's let's take this whole section back. So the main character is John Taylor, and he has the the plot contrivance power. <laughs> oh, of course, right, 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 right. It, it's what it's one of those series of books that it feels like a, there's a whole lot of cut and paste happening because there's a lot of very similar situations happening from from book to book. You you know how in a series one character has a verbal trait or a verbal tick. They always describe something a certain way or act a certain way. Well, every character has about 20 of those. So a, a big portion of all of the novels are the same characters saying the same things the same time, all the time. It, uh, it, it feels kind of like a, a cheesy episode of Angel or Buffy, those, those 90s era TV shows. Shows I love. It, it's good entertainment. The classics. Oh, of course. Of course. You absolutely love those shows. I, I still love them to this day. They're just they're kind of garbage at times. <laughs> they're the garbage you loved. It's true. It's true. And and the Nightside series is very entertaining. Uh, there, there's actually a really good progression of the characters going from start to finish. Uh, the, the main character ends up being this down-on-his-luck I don't want to be who I am detective to, okay, well, I guess I'm in charge of everything because no one else will be kind of guy. And so, so there's a good sense of story going from book to book and it's just pure cheesy fun. There's a mashup of all kinds of genres and tropes. So he'll, he'll drop references to Dr. Who and, Hmm. uh, Arthurian legend, and he, he just throws in whatever he wants because the night side is just the amalgam of every supernatural story ever stuck in the middle of London because it has to be there. Outsiders will come to exploit vices that uh, they can't exploit anywhere else. There's, there's gods walking around. There's old ones. Anything that can happen will happen. It's an entertaining time. Very silly, very pointless. Sounds like a winner. It is. It is. And he's an okay he's an okay author. I like his style. Very repetitive. Uh, but he's also written many, many series of books. And he refers to his other series within all of his other series. <laughs> so his other characters will show up in the night side from time to time. I guess he was just get bored when he was writing that and story. And it's, it's a great way to sell your other series. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, that's extracurricular. Uh, we're going to move on to our second segment, but we're going to rename it. Uh, six episodes deep here, I realized that this segment was not on theme. So we are going to change dead campaigns to used books. 
Same subject matter, same content. Uh, we're going to talk about old campaigns or ideas of campaigns that never got off the ground or died too soon. We're going to talk about what happened uh, and maybe find some details we like to bring forward and revive again. We're just calling it used books for now because, hey, we have a theme. We should stick to it. Got to go with the theme. Got to go with the theme. So, Kevin, as our special guest tonight, uh, do you have an old dead campaign that you want to revive here in used books? Dig it off the shelf for us? Oh, Lord, I have so many. Uh, one of the habits our campaign groups have is we've never been the best at setting it a firm end to one of our campaigns so that it can actually end. Um, but I guess... My favorite campaign ever that I ran was set in Eberron. It was uh, 4th edition Dungeons and Dragons, actually. And the players were all private investigators working out of Sharn. Not a completely unique concept. I mean, people have done it before. But, you know, it was just great. Like, the, the guys, they started out on... The whole thing started this huge adventure on an airship like they were all just happened to be traveling together and this guy who had finally worked up enough money to purchase a little shop to run his own private investigation firm um ended up saving the lives of all the players and in his efforts ended up dying and his one wish is that like someone at least one of the guys took over his shop and ran it for him and so they took up this little shop in Harath's Folly called Folly Investigations. And from there, they solved um, a disease outbreak that was being run by a guy. Um, at one point in time, one of the players had a pirate that he had escaped from the Isles, and this pirate captain tracked him down, called Dredge the Reaver, and he kidnapped him, and the rest of the guys had to go save him. Um, and I think the last storyline that I was working on involved uh, the ambassador from Carneth to Sharn was actually housing a secret army that he was building in the... Um, Oh, I'm forgetting the name of the underbelly of Sharn, like all the way down at the bottom. Do they call it Undersharn? No, no, no. <laughs> it was, uh, oh man, it's going to drive me crazy that I can't remember it. But the Underdark? Under the deep. Cogs. The Cogs. Ah. That's what it was. In the Cogs of Sharn, he was amassing this undead army because Carnathy had the undead army in the Five Wars. Are in the 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 big uh, wars that they had before Eberron's timeline started, and the uh, one of the players who was using pistols that we actually figured out a way actually gunned down this ambassador guy in cold blood. Uh, after they finally caught up with him and he was being put on trial because there was no proof at all that this was going on and other than hearsay and like I never got to finish that that storyline it was it was going to be great I was probably going to execute the guy would have been awesome 
Incomplete storyline. Yeah, that's that's a that's a tough one. So so have you considered taking this this these story elements that that you guys almost got to and reworking them into a new campaign, a new game? Well, the the thing is, like the guys, they kind of feel like they're done with it. You know, like they the biggest reason it fell apart is because fourth edition falls apart at high level. One of the coolest portions of the game was when they reached Paragon tier, 10th level and above, I actually put an in-game break of like over a year that everyone kind of went and did their own thing. There was a big shakeup at the end of 9th level. This really cool event happened and they all kind of went their separate ways and they came back after a couple of like a year and a half or two years or something like that. And they had their Paragon abilities, you know, like there's this big jump in power and it was well explained through their breakaway. Like I, I made up a storyline with the player's helps for each character, like what they've been doing during this period of time. But the further we went up the chain after 10th level, the like I was never able to get more than one battle in a night. Didn't matter how mm-hmm. complicated I made it. And, you know, like the idea that you can't role play in fourth edition is, of course, silly because you can role play as much as you want. Rules do not get in the way of role play just because there's no rules in a game that lend themselves to role play doesn't mean they get in the way where they do get in the way, though, is if the battles take so damn long Mm -hmm. that you just don't have time for anything else. And honestly, if if you have a dungeon master who is on point and you have players who are on point with 4th edition even at the paragon levels you can get through battles faster than it probably seems like you should be able to but in a casual game it just it breaks down mm-hmm. so they they're kind of just done with the game and there's not a great way to translate their characters over to 5th edition and they feel like they have some good stories there and they just they don't feel like they need to resurrect those characters for anything else. Hmm. Do you ever think about doing like uh, some notable authors we've discussed tonight do and taking those characters and, and introducing them as characters follow it up in, in later campaigns? Well, one concept we did have was having, um, and I actually, my library group, I, I run a game for teenagers at a library. For a while there, they were the protégés of these characters. So you're that stranger um, talking to teenagers down at the library. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because one of my buddies was one of the characters in the game, and he was helping me out with the library thing. So together, we were basically... I had so many kids that he was running a table, I was running a table, and we were basically being characters in charge of Folly Investigations, sending these kids out on work like jobs for the pi firm because at that point in time it had gotten so big that they needed extra hands to do all these extra jobs and stuff like that so i did carry it over a little bit it kind of fell apart because honestly like preteens and teenagers when you're introducing them to D, it's hard to wrangle them into an actual storyline they just want to like they want to do some combat they want to come to the table every week with a brand new character like they just they're fiddling with the system because it's all brand new to them and they want to do everything. They don't want to stick with one character like some of us older people do and get into a meaty storyline and stuff like that. So anyway, that's that's my game, uh, The Folly Investigations. 
game that I ran for like two years, something like that. Hmm. I actually have a blog where I detail most of the storyline. And if you search Folly Investigations, you might be able to find it. It's out there. It's a WordPress site. Good to know. Handy resource. Definitely. Definitely. I, I think a lot of times a campaign might end not definitively, but just slow. And, and that's probably what happened here, right? You, you kind of were wrapping up some storylines, but you were also getting to a point where it was it was very challenging to keep the story moving forward because of everything that was happening at the table. Yeah, and, you know, a key character in the game just started getting too busy at work, and he was going to have to bow out. And, you know, I think at that point in time, it was the first year I was starting up Golf League, and I didn't want to have a second night where I was, you know, doing something away from the family. So it just got, you know, it just kind of fell apart naturally. Um, but we had some, we had a really great run with it. Like it was one of the best runs that I've ever done. You know, uh, I, I think, uh, Kevin, you should deliver the eulogy at my funeral because, uh, I'm, I'm now convinced the campaigns end like people, right? They, uh, they, they had a good run, you know, but, but, uh, we were getting too busy <laughs> to hang out in the end and just got slower and slower and, you know, occasionally a campaign, it'll just end like boom you know just boom and it's gone but but usually they just they just fade out they just ease out i wish this campaign was still in my life but we all have to move on sometimes <laughs> someone starts playing that one bagpipe oh, song and speaking of songs <laughs> uh the music behind me is not by battle bards it is courtesy of the bar across the street my apologies for the listeners who uh do not appreciate the extremely low volume smooth jazz as a background tempo to my charming personality <laughs> but hey if you do like that just run on in to michael at the rpg academy and let him know you cool cats want some smooth jazz mm-hmm. here in we'll, uh, start a letter writing campaign of battle bards and no no we won't no. Hey, no, they've got the that. mixer now. You can interject your own smooth jazz. Don't suggest that. <laughs> I want to. I want to make a smooth jazz D and D game. <laughs> I don't know how that would work. Well, you could just do Spirit of Seventy Seven, and then use smooth jazz. That's true. That's true. Or, or it'll be an all bard campaign, and everyone plays trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a low brass man myself. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, so uh, that that was a, a a good section there for used books. I think uh, I I think we see that not all campaigns end because they're over, and not all campaigns end because something specific happens. Sometimes they just die off, and that's okay. As long as you have good stories, as long as you had a good time, that's all that matters. It sounds like uh, regardless of how long the campaigns run, it always ends too soon. That's very true. That's very true. Uh, I don't think I have ever run a campaign to a point that I feel was a satisfactory close. But hey, we've got Rod Iron in the works here, and I definitely have an idea where that campaign is going to end. So we're going to see what happens. Yeah. A a TPK will be a very satisfying close. There you go. I'm sure. I don't want that to happen, Scott. I really don't. We're fighting horrifying monsters from the beyond. I just don't see it happening any other way. You never know. There there might be something new and interesting right around the corner that gives you guys a little bit of a boost. Ooh, I want to spoiler episodes, but uh, I can't. Uh, Everybody, keep listening. (laughs) And with that delicious tease 
being dropped on all you listeners. Let's move on to our class review. Uh, tonight for class review, we are going to talk about the Paladin. Ooh. The Paladin, uh, the fist of God, as some might say, the lawful martial representation of divine will. If, if the cleric is the voice of God and the will of God, the Paladin is the fist of God. I'll, I'll uh, start us off. I love the Paladin class. I think 5th uh, edition makes it, pardon me, an all-around amazing class to play. It's got a lot of punch. It's got a lot of versatility. and The, the punch and versatility are nicely um, exchanged, right? You have to kind of pay the one to get the other. Um, I think uh, there's a lot of good fluff, and I feel like the, the class restrictions that have, that have been eased in 5th edition were a wonderful choice because I'll admit um, all the Paladins that I ever built in 3.5 were never lawful good because I thought uh, the lawful stupid paladin trope as a younger person was always, you know, next to the friend you had who played like a tiefling rogue, right? And stole everything from the party. That was always the most annoying player at the party, right? You'd, 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 you'd have that tiefling rogue character of yours take the druid and the paladin for a walk so you guys could burn down the forest full of good people and take their stuff, right? But uh, aside from um, that trope, <laughs> I think it's it's been a fantastic class. I'd like to go back I, I, when I first started playing Dungeons and Dragons, like the Paladin itself, there was something really exciting about it because it was such a hard subclass to achieve because you had to roll such good stats to become a Paladin. I think I remember early on, I actually rolled stats well enough to be one and it was just like, there was something cool about it. Like the, these days, whenever you make characters and stuff, you have standard stat rolls and stuff like that. And I, I think that's better. I, I think the balance to the game is probably a better thing for the game overall. But in there is a nostalgia aspect to it for me. Having the prestige of that one character you rolled up so well they got into the Harvard equivalent of classes. and Exactly. Like, I mean, I, I achieved a a well enough rolled character with three six-sided die going straight down the line that I was able to actually be a paladin. And I think he survived for a fairly decent long time too. Um, obviously not long enough that I can actually remember his name, but <laughs> I mean, I think I named him after uh, the paladin from Dragonlance. That seems like something I would have done. It was just really neat. Like, having that old aspect of the paladin i mean when he first came around it was it was a subclass i think it came out in a greyhawk sub supplement or something like that uh it was it was new and unique i will say that i miss the the three five rules about uh falling as a paladin right breaking the alignment and, and then having to go on a fun quest i mean that was such a juicy fodder one to ruin your player's day and two to create <laughs> perfunctory quests um, I had a long campaign where my DM made me go on one of those. I was not a paladin, I was a psionic warrior, but I was effectively very similar mechanically. And uh, it was a good alignment, and I, I'd done a terrible thing, and he made me atone for it. And so we hiked all all these mountains, and we did all these things. And it was it was a, a fun excuse to go on a side quest that turned into a main quest. So I think what's really interesting, as you guys have been sharing some paladin stories, is that both of you spoke to alignment 
alignment isn't as big a factor as it used to be. And alignment is frequently one of those factors of the game that gets thrown out or ignored or hand-waved. But a paladin class, I think, is one of the most alignment-focused classes in D&D. Even when you have a cleric who, in older editions, had to be within a certain alignment step of his or her patron deity, and even if you had other classes that needed a certain alignment restriction, like the warlocks used to be either chaotic or evil. If I remember correctly, in 3.5, barbarians could not be lawful, right? Mm -hmm. But you just didn't care. You picked a thing and you wrote it down on your sheet and it didn't matter. But as soon as you say the word paladin, it immediately means you have to play your alignment no matter what, right? Yeah. The paladin just embodies that trope of alignment. It kind of shifted away from that a little bit in 4th edition, mm-hmm. though. I mean, that would be where I would say that the paladin was quite a bit different. I think in 4th they had to actually be attached to a deity, which had never been specific before. And they no longer could fall. Uh, they instead, like, they had some situation where, like, if a paladin was being excessively evil in the name of their deity or something like that, maybe compatriots or something from that paladin's sect or whatever it was would hunt them down. Uh, there was a major shift in the way the paladin was handled in 4th edition. And as much as I like 4th, I don't know if I liked that. Hmm. Uh, I've never been a huge paladin guy to begin with, but you know, I, I will. I I think you guys are exactly right that I've never realized it before. But but the paladin is the embodiment of the alignment system in the universe, right? The, the paladin is the re the, is the proof that alignment mechanic like like physically exists in space, right? You can detect evil at will, right? You can you you can measure alignment. Mm-hmm. They embody the alignment. A, a friend of mine uh, played a paladin. He said he'd uh, always avoided playing a paladin for for years and years because he never thought I'd do it justice. And the one paladin he ever did play, he said he based it on Captain America. And he he said that Captain America is the only truly lawful good uh, superhero that he'd ever met. And and the example that he gave, the compelling example, was from the comics, where uh, you know they're having some big team up fight against some horrible world-ending disaster, like uh, every other issue. And uh, Thor gets slapped around, drops his hammer, right? And uh, Captain America comes by, picks up the hammer, instantly gains all of Thor's powers, right? Because you you know the the seal on it mm-hmm. says only those who are especially worthy asterisk and also sometimes thor right and uh so he picks up the hammer he instantly gains all of thor's powers and you know what the first thing he does is thor your hammer he passes it back to him right cuz he's captain america that is what lawful good does and uh you know he he is you are the alignment captain america is a paladin absolutely mm-hmm. Absolutely. Plus, you always you always think of a paladin in armor with a shield and a sword. Captain America just doesn't have the sword. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the trope of embodying alignment is absolutely right. I can clearly remember multiple games in multiple editions where we had to convince the paladin to leave the room because we had to punch someone around to interrogate him. Or we had to 
have the rogue break into a house to get the item we needed, and the paladin knew full well we needed the MacGuffin, and it was like, all right, guys, I'll be over here doing nothing. Just tell me when the MacGuffin magically shows up in our purse. I don't care, right? Yep, I will willfully suspend my disbelief. Uh, one of those one of those moral moments that L5R basically uh, generates every session is the only one generating that is the Paladin. Exactly, exactly. But you're absolutely right, Kevin. I think 4th edition is the shift in Paladins. Uh, in 3.x and earlier, actually, you know, there isn't really as much of a, a general assumption we can make, though, because before 3.5, Paladins were that subclass. Uh, you had to have the right stats to get into it. You had to really earn your way to being a paladin. It was more like a title or a position you you fought your way to get. In 3.5, it was kind of one of those things where if you were chosen by destiny, you could be a paladin. And I think that kind of existed to help support the weirdness of the alignment tropes uh, that it had to play to. It was not tied to a specific deity, but you ended up following deities because you kind of picked your outlook in the world, and then you found a deity that, that matched that. And plus you would get spellcasting abilities, and you typically had to have some sort of relationship with the deity to claim those spells. I will say that, that no conversation about the uh, paladin, especially focusing on alignment, would be complete if we don't discuss the anti-paladin, the DM's best friend. Right, right. But again, this exists because of alignment. Absolutely. There are endless discussions of what it means to fall as a paladin. And in 3.5, if you, quote, fell, you lost certain abilities and there would be all the spells and mini quests you would have to do to potentially get him back. But then you had the anti-paladin, which was the exact same thing as a paladin, but you just embraced the other side of the alignment axis. Yeah, well, uh, n not the other side. I mean, lawful evil, right? Oh, yeah, that's not necessarily the exact opposite. Yeah, just the other side of, of the x-axis. Yeah, and, and, and the lawful part mm -hmm. is, you know, introduces the, the, the fun thing of, of the party may be able to negotiate and pull one over on the anti-paladin, right? Because they have to follow their word, right? Mm -hmm. they, they are hell-bent on the, the, um, the agenda of evil, but they, uh, right, they follow rules just like anybody else, right? You just, just like you, you trick your own paladin into looking the other way when you're committing a crime, right? You, you can work with the anti-paladin to achieve a goal if you must. I, I will say uh, the the one paladin character that I, I did not get to play that I always wanted to was uh, it was it was after a long series of paladins always being uh, lawful stupid in a campaign and I I was in love with Unearth Arcana and there there was a there there was a paladin of freedom variant where you were chaotic good and you worshipped freedom as an ideal and I was dying to play the uh, the the chaotic good paladin and and worship uh, chaos over good whereas. Like, I would refuse to take prisoners, because that restricts their freedom, right? We can kill them and send them back to their god, or we can let them go, but we can't take them hostage. That, you know, like, like really, like, anti-trade unions, right? Like, like <laughs> anti-slavery, that's, that, that's the whole thing, right? They're, let's kill all the slaves. Why? Because then they'll be back to their god. They'll be free. I remember all that section in the Unearthed Arcana, the different types of paladin you could have. 
Paladins have always been pretty straightforward, though, in what they did mechanically, let alone all of this goofiness about how they exist and why they exist. Paladins hit things, and they have some sort of divine power. They also touch you. Right, right. Lay on hands and smite. That's a paladin. And and detect evil at will. Sometimes. But, <laughs> but pretty much, they'll heal you with a touch, and they'll beat the hell out of you if they think you're evil. Divine righteousness, yeah. Now, what was really interesting was in 3.5, you could blow a smite and have it not connect. Yeah, that was terrible. Because you were basically saying, uh, if I use my smite ability on an evil character, I do X extra damage and I have an Y bonus to attack, right? But if I claimed that use of smite and my target was not evil or I was wrong somehow or I'd been tricked. You missed that roll. Or if I missed the roll, right. That was where the... uh, the wondrous items that changed alignment were so cheesy. <laughs> hey, could you uh, put in this ring for a minute? Why? <laughs> ah! Right. If you want the paladin to beat the hell out of somebody, just change his alignment. And then the paladin thinks, oh my God, it's the most evil thing ever and, and just destroys it. I like it. That's you know the long con, right? Where you get them to accept the engagement ring and put them on, and then you bring out the paladin who's unaware of this engagement. So he's evil. Get him. The paladin is the priest of the ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> he's doing the oh, wedding. No. And now I pronounce you. Wait a second. My detect evil sense is tingling. Attack. But that did potentially bring up the story elements of I, as a paladin, am declaring you evil. But you're not evil, right? So you could have some interesting story dynamic and role-playing dynamic. But when you got away from 3.5 and the alignment restrictions, 4th edition let you... You still had smite. You still had lay on hands. But you also had the divine challenge. You, you could basically say... I'm summoning the power of my deity to challenge you to combat because I feel it is important in this moment. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you could also use smite whenever you wanted. At this point, smite became a function of your divine power without going into the uh, the rabbit hole of how 4th edition mechanics worked. Basically, you could use the different smites to power yourself in different ways, right? Because you had different paladin builds. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But even as 4th edition evolved, paladin stayed pretty much the same. You were a tank, you had divine power to punch things. No real changes. 5th uh, edition is pretty much the same. Mechanically, sure, it functions differently, but you've got lay on hands, you've got smite, you've got some divine spells, and you're essentially the physical power representation of your divine beliefs. Paladins in 5th edition are pretty good. Uh, I was running an Out of the Abyss campaign, and they, uh, my one of my players was running a paladin, and he actually had quite a few options to him while he was playing, much more than just using a powerful smite attack um, or just being a martial character. 
since 5th edition gives spells to damn near every class, um, he had, like, I think at one point he used Sanctuary to help protect himself uh, when he was in the middle of a fight or something like that. Um, so, like, he, he just, there was a lot of utility there that I've not seen in Paladins before. I do like in 5th edition how you have a lot more options with your smite because you are essentially choosing to drop spell slots to power up your smite. And in other editions, you had X number of smites per day, right? And you could bump those up with feats or different magic items or whatnot. But in 5th edition, you've got your smite and you have spells. But if you really want to focus on smite, just drop all your spells and smite all day long. I do appreciate how that build works within the mechanical confines of 5th edition to give the paladin more options. Because you can pick more spells, you can do some cool buffs, you can do some healing, you could uh, focus a little bit more on offensive spells, or you can just really power yourself up with smites whenever you want to. I will say that unless you decide to, alignment is essentially meaningless in 5th edition. Like, it, it depends on how your table feels about it, but within the actual rule setting of the game, I mean, Paladins, I don't think that they have an alignment restriction anymore. I don't think anything has, like, alignment restrictions or even alignment suggestions anymore. Like, it's kind of just tacked on as something extra you can do in yeah. fifth. Yeah, I, I feel like they, they kept alignment because they, they thought too many people would be sad if they lost it. But they really transitioned onto bonds and flaws, which... You know, probably a, a positive modernizing step if if you want to represent your character, just having two axes rather than you know, like a paragraph to actually make a description. That that's positive. However, uh, you're right; they they really backed away from alignment as as having mechanical effect, and and you know that does a disservice to paladins and paladin alikes who are dependent on alignment for their thematic impact. Well, and in a world where you still have deities that have specific alignments. And you have spells that I think 5th edition still maintains spells like protection from evil and things like that. They may have some differences on there. I haven't really looked into, you know, I haven't played a lot of 5e. I've run a lot of 5e. <laughs> but, um, I don't remember if they have a lot of spells that are alignment specific anymore that are just kind of like, well, what do you really do with this spell now that alignment is not quite so static? That might be a different conversation altogether, but essentially paladins are no longer tied to alignment from what I can see. Mm -hmm. And to throw back to the beginning of this episode, when we were talking about how 5th edition is built on the bones of 4th, paladin is a perfect example because paladins now have the uh, channel divinity feature and what you do with that is based on your choice as a character. And th that is straight out of 4th edition. Hmm. Basically, the paladin is imbued with holy power, and you can channel that into something like Smite or Lay on Hands. But then the choices you make, the archetypes, how you are playing your character, means you can channel that divinity additional ways. So that's how you can do some of the buffs or the protections or the different auras. 
Uh, one of the things I always liked about paladins is that they end up being able to help their party members simply by virtue of standing there because they have different auras. Uh, in 3.5, they would grant a plus two against fear or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and now uh, they'll, they'll boost saves of uh, their party members as long as they're within 10 or 20 feet or something like that. Uh, and I think that kind of throws back to being such a paragon example of a thing, whether it's divinity or an alignment or a belief structure. The paladin takes it to heart and embodies it so strongly with so much dedication that they exude that benefit to their friends who are nearby. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it's it's a wonderful way to bring uh, the divine touch to uh, your whole party, even from a you know twenty foot radius. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I think. I think paladins are really fun to play. I, I like paladins because they're kind of challenging, right? You, by default, want to play to the tropes. Uh, by default, you want to be, I have dedicated myself to a principle so much that it pa- gives me magical powers. Mm-hmm. And I keep those magical powers by virtue of my dedication. It's an interesting challenge to play that character because there's different ways that that can reveal itself. You can play to the tropes of that lawful, stupid paladin. You just blindly follow along with what you've been taught and what you believe. But you can also explore what that means in storytelling and what that means as a person. I have these beliefs, but now I'm out in the world. My beliefs are going to be challenged. Do, Do I maintain my beliefs in spite do I maintain my beliefs because of, or do my beliefs evolve? Does that change the source of my power, right? Mm-hmm. Now we get into the philosophy of mm-hmm. what a class means in Dungeons & Dragons. If my beliefs are evolving and I'm becoming a better person, does that mean my powers change? Do they go away? Does my divine patron abandon me? Do I find a new divine patron? Do, do I have to, in some way... As, as my beliefs evolve, do I have to appear to practice the old beliefs and still hold the old beliefs to retain those powers? Do I have to, um, you know, uh, like, you know, be the one to walk myself out of the room because I believe that this is important enough to do to bend the rules, right? Do you bend the rules how and when? And is that a moral compunction? I mean, and a, a great way to challenge a paladin from a GM perspective is to give them a situation where something is explicitly against the laws of man but you have to have them trying to decide whether it's an unjust law i mean they like a paladin may be walking through a busy street and find someone panhandling who cannot survive unless they panhandle and it may be against the laws of that city to do such a thing huh. and it's it becomes a it becomes like a Superman dilemma. I mean, that's the that's the way you challenge Superman in the comics is you play upon his morality code and you. I mean, it's this it works a great way with paladins. Um, just finding a way to kind of dig at their their law side and good side at the same time. And the worst thing is when a player plays a paladin as a lawful dick and just you know they're just simple answers for all your complex problems. Yeah, they're they're basically a bad person 
but because they can explain themselves away as being within the law and the good, um, they can kind of get away with it. I feel like that's come up in, in a few of these uh, class reviews. And, and so maybe uh, for folks at home, you, you know, the, the, the suggestion is, is uh, don't play a crappy character. Play, play, play be a team player challenge your character don't just don't just try to be a dick to everyone at the table <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well it's really easy to use the excuse this is how my character would act mm-hmm. and sometimes that's correct but sometimes that is simply an excuse to be a dick or to cause problems and maybe you're not doing it intentionally Maybe you're not trying to be a bad person or a bad player or cause problems at the table, but if you're not really getting into role-playing and exploring the narration, it's very easy just to say black and white, this is what my character would do, this is what my alignment means, this is what my class means, so I'm not going to do this or I am going to do this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, simple answers. Back on an old actual play we did here on the Academy, we ran into this exact problem where a divine character, a paladin, encountered a party member who was using necromancy. Ooh. But that party member was not an evil character. He was using necromancy because his deity was death. His, he worshipped the principle of death. Uh-huh. Right, but he wasn't evil. He just was understanding that side of things. Uh huh. But the paladin says, "Wait a minute! You're using necromancy. You're evil. I have to kill you." Huh. And and, uh, and and we've talked about that in 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 depth previously. So I don't want to rehash that, but it, it did cause conflict between players, not necessarily characters. So you have to be careful with that kind of thing. And you have to be willing to participate in the story and use the choices you've made as your characters to drive that story forward and be part of that story, not just put a period at the end of the sentence. Uh, To wrap up the paladin here, we will, as we always do in class review, try to figure out where we can find the paladin in other games and other mechanical systems. I'll uh, be the dinosaur and mention that in uh, GURPS, I mean, uh, not curves. In rifts, in Phase World, there was a cosmonite uh, racial character class that basically was a paladin. You, uh, right, you're a normal, you're a normal being of whatever sort in the cosmos, and then you you have a dream one night of visiting like the Cosmic Forge, and then you have magical armor powers, and you sh- like pursue good, and you can fly at light speed. It it, it was a fun class, a hundred percent paladin. I would say a game that you could play as a paladin type character would be Corporea, um, where, uh, and I don't know how familiar you guys are with Corporea, um, but it's essentially Arthurian times repeating themselves in a modern age. Um, and of course, if you have Arthurian knights, you have paladin type characters. So that would be one place I would point to. That's a great example. I do not know that game or system, but now I want to find out about it. Oh, yeah, you should check it out. It's uh, by Mark Plemons, I believe. Um, it's a great system. Hmm. I will go look that up. Uh, really, I think any time you're playing a game where the the motivation of your character is, is derived from devotion to a principle, 
and upholding that principle. You can claim the thematic representation of a paladin. So uh, maybe in that respect, I uh, I should, even though I've never played it, I've just obsessively listened to podcasts about it and wished to play it. I would put up L5R as our system where everyone plays paladins. Everyone who's super dedicated to a specific ideal. That's, that's a great one. That That's a good example, yeah. Obviously, L5R has a lot of different mechanical aspects than, than what we're discussing here, but thematically, sure. Those samurai that are devoted to their clan and their family principles, yeah, that that's very paladin-ish, we can say. We spent 30 minutes talking about how paladins are all about the theme of what they want, right? Whether or not it's based on alignment or mm-hmm. just your choice of what you are devoted to. So mm-hmm. when we're talking about a paladin in another game, we have to just look at the theme. Mm-hmm. So in any game, if I'm playing a character where I am, I have chosen a principle to define my life, my motivation, what makes me do what I do, it echoes a paladin. Now, of course, we can also speak to the more mythological elements if you're playing a character that is chosen by god kind of paladinish uh if you are chosen by god to do more martial fighting things to lay out punishment and judgment a little bit more paladin-ish mm-hmm. to throw it back to the Nightside series that i mentioned earlier there were many characters where they were selected by a deity to do things uh, one specifically was called the walking man. His He is chosen by God to walk the earth and deal out justice. Nothing could get in his way. Nothing could stop him. Nothing could kill him. Kung Fu, the legend continues. Exactly. Right. <laughs> one of my favorite uh, fictional paladins is Michael Carpenter from the Dresden Files. Uh, yep. I mean, he's just... And, you know, I, I myself am a Christian, and that character is a Christian in the book, and his paladin nature, like, he shows some of the best parts of my religion, and it, it always spoke to me really well. And as someone who is not religious, I love that character because he evolves as a character, but still maintains his belief. Mm-hmm. He is dedicated he, to his choice that he made. He chose to believe, right? And and that's exactly that, that's fascinating. That gets back to what we we talked about: how we challenge paladins, right? And also how you can tell a paladin is is they do stick to the beliefs. They don't like hem and hedge and decide maybe this is moral one day and not the next, right? And and if we look at the character of Michael Carpenter, he goes through some horrible, horrible situations that are life altering. But he does not waver in his beliefs. And I even think that uh, one of the key villains in the Dresden Files, like one thing they would love, like one villain sect would love to do is make Michael Carpenter essentially turn his back and go blackguard Mm -hmm. on his beliefs. Mm -hmm. And it just has failed at every turn that they've tried to do. And he's, he's a perfect example of a paladin. Absolutely. And uh, what you were talking about there, Kevin, was the Order of the Black and Denarians, right? 
the the fallen angels Correct. who are kept within 30 pieces of silver and they have magical powers and, and they tempt the world around them. There's your black guards. There's your anti-paladins. The uh, similar embodiment, a, a devotion to a cause, but the the dark side of things. And if we're saying paladins are the epitome of good, the denarians are the epitome of evil uh, because good and evil exist in very clear tones in the Dresden Files. Uh, yeah, I, I love that series, and I love that character. He is the perfect example of a paladin. And, you know, in that series, um, another paladin of the series was uh, Shiro Yoshimo, um, who was not religious, yet he held one of the swords that had one of the nails of the cross in it, uh, but he had a very strict belief system of his own that lent him the same powers um, granted to the paladin of this order and he fought against the same people that Michael Carpenter did having an entirely different belief system uh, but it was the power of his solidified belief that helped him and then in the latest book in the Dresden series another character takes up one of the swords of the cross Ooh. and i'm not going to give away any spoilers but based on this conversation it's very interesting because this character is not religious but takes up one of these swords because of his beliefs in a principle so we're actually kind of seeing the evolution of the paladin class in the dungeons and dragons editions right <laughs> we, we've got the super religious good and evil in three five that's michael carpenter and now in fifth edition we have a devotion to a principle a choice you've made whether or not you believe in a god it's divine power because of your choice your beliefs and that's exactly what happens to this particular character when he picks up the sword and becomes a knight essentially a paladin you know i i think you've talked me into reading these books there's a lot of good in them a lot of good reading. In there's it. a lot of bad reading, but there's a lot of good <laughs> yeah. reading. Yeah, a lot of repetitiveness. Um, you guys sound like recommenders but... for Wheel of Time. Just got to get through the first twelve books. Oh, the Wheel of Time series. The first three should have been the only three. Uh, <laughs> well, like I said uh, the last time we talked about it, there's what, fifteen books in the Dresden Files. The last two were the only good ones in my mind. All right, so I can read back to front. <laughs> You got it. Uh, uh, eh. you know, I, th I feel like you could almost pick up the Dresden Files from any book. I mean, there's going to be some stuff you're missing out on, but you get the idea. Yeah, you can, because <laughs> there are pages of exposition every time something happens. Yeah, they cut and paste <laughs> from the last five books. Like, oh, as you recall, dear reader. Basically, yeah. Because it's a first-person narrative, so he's, he's essentially speaking to himself, us, the reader, and he just explains the same things over and over. So absolutely, you could just pick up the last book and get it all. I like it. Last time on Harry Dresden's Dresden Files. Dun, dun, dun. Alrighty, so do we want to bring up anything else about the paladin here? We've talked about what it means to be one, the evolution from one edition to the other, how we can find those themes in other games. Uh, I, I think we've really covered the paladin very uh, very thoroughly here. I, I and I think it's safe to say we all like the Paladin a lot. 
Yeah, yeah. If you want to play an Ultramarine, no better way than the Paladin. <laughs> I even like the Paladin in 5th edition. And we all know that I don't like 5th edition a lot, but I like the Paladin. Wow. I like the Paladin in 5th. Yeah. Alrighty, so uh, with our class review on the Paladin put to bed, I think the class bell is ringing here for detention. So for myself, Scott, Kevin, and everyone at the RPG Academy Network, we'll see you next time. Your wedding wedding isn't... (laughs) (laughs) God damn it, go ahead, Kevin. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGAcademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.